everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Arizona State Parks and Trails podcast. This episode, we went on location to bring you up in elevation to the Mogollon Rim and into Pine Creek Canyon, where we visited Tonto Natural Bridge State Park, just outside of Payson. We met with park manager Andrew Young and assistant manager Katie Ferguson. After touring the beautiful grounds, we sat down with these two to hear about their professional journeys that have led them to working at Arizona State Parks, and also to learn about the amazing history and ecology at Tonto Natural Bridge. We learned some incredible information about this natural wonder, but I won't spoil it for you, so let's dive right into the show. So, Andrew and Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure having you here at Tonto Natural Bridge State Park. Man, we're stoked. It's a beautiful day up here, and it's just uh, it's real nice to be able to kind of go around and check out some of the cool historic things around the park, because everybody knows this is like just a, a gorgeous area to come hang out, but uh, it was fun to get a little insight today. Yeah, it's a really beautiful place. We're here in a cool, brisk winter day. It's fun to see the different seasons at the park. Um, for those who haven't been here before, could you set the stage, paint them a little picture in their mind? Where are we here at the bridge? What's so cool about this park? So, uh, so yeah, absolutely. So uh, Tonto Natural Bridge, we sit down uh, in a little valley uh, with a body of water called Pine Creek, which is actually the body of water that cut the, the geological formation that is Tonto Natural Bridge. Um, there is a ton of history down here uh, going back to the Native Americans up through the pioneers. Uh, we're very temperate, as you mentioned. We experience four distinct seasons up here, uh, distinct spring, summer, fall, and winter. And again, we're in winter right now, so it's nice and cold outside and not a whole lot of visitors today. Um, so what really defines this little valley is water. So we have a series of springs on the east side of the park, which uh, to this day is our water source. So if you come to the park and you, you take a drink out of our water fountain, you're drinking our spring water. And that allows us to, uh, to have a nice little green paradise down here, especially in the summertime. So when you folks down in, in Phoenix or down the desert are baking, you know, we'll be hot, but we'll be nice and green. We have uh, orchard, we have uh, many different tree, wildflower and shrub species that all flower. Uh, a lot of different wildflowers, a lot of different wildlife. So we sit down in this beautiful little green valley um, that's kind of a nice little respite from the heat in the summertime. It's like an oasis. Indeed, indeed. And yeah. if what you just said doesn't make one of people come up here, I don't really know what else we could say <laughs> yeah. because that yeah. was beautiful, Andrew. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I wanted to take the trip, and then I looked outside, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm right here, right here in the middle of this beautiful place. <laughs> yeah. So so even even on those cold winter days, uh, the, one, of the, one of the things I love about this park is – uh, it, it's always different. Um, so I, I compare it on a, obviously a much smaller scale to the Grand Canyon. Um, every time you walk outside, you know, depending on the season, depending on the time of day, the light is always different. Uh, you notice different details, different shadows, different shades, uh, depending on what's, what's blooming out here and uh, what wildlife is active. It's, every day is different and every time of the day is different. It's so special. It really is. And, I love uh, 
the the team's passion about those things. I mean, talking to you guys today uh, before the show, it, it really shined through how much you you love the park, all the the cool historic things about it, and love sharing that with people. And that in itself is is priceless when people can visit a park like that and be experiencing all these amazing things. But here, that next level stuff from the, from the park staff, yes. it really kind of drives experiences home. And that, that's what you're giving people out here. Perfect. That's what we want. You have a lot of knowledge and you share that freely with people. And people, uh, you know, I, I say this a lot to our park rangers because you guys do an amazing job. But people really kind of look up to park rangers because you have all of this great knowledge. You're willing to share it. You're stewarding the land and the historic places that you're on. So... Without a doubt, one of the most common questions we get about park rangers in the system is, I, I want to be a park ranger when I grow up. Yeah. I want to do that someday. How does how does one do that? Can you guys share a little bit about your journeys, how long you've been here, and, and how you became a park ranger? Yeah, mine's a little different. Um, I actually started off in the service industry. So I was a waitress and bartender for most of my working life. I went to school for psychology, really didn't have... Any thought to, to getting a job as a ranger, you know, moved from California about six years ago and came to visit the place, met the right person that worked here at the time and just kind of asked, not thinking anything was going to come from it. Like, you know, how do you get a job like this? Same way that people ask you. And uh, a seasonal position was just posted. And so I went online and applied and got hired on as a seasonal with no experience whatsoever in parks and recreation. And um, just kind of gradually made my way up here at the park. So I've been very, very fortunate and I love it here. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. How long have you been here, Katie? I've been here almost five years now. Wow. Yeah. So not long after you came from California, yeah. you got a killer job. I landed it right wow. away. So I actually got a job um, offered to me as a waitress in Payson. And then about a week before that job was supposed to actually start, that's when I came to visit here on Valentine's Day. And, and got the job this next day, actually. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think blessed. that your story will inspire people because that's a very frequent question. Do I have to have a degree that's specifically related to this field? Yeah. And if you're the right person, yes. you have the right attitude, you have the right passion, mm -hmm. you can find a place. Absolutely. System. And coming from, you know, in the service industry, it's all customer service. Yeah. And that's what our job is here. It's, it's talking to people, engaging with them and making sure that they enjoy their time here. And it's, you know, slowly becoming more and more passionate about the park that you're at that just makes it that much better. So. Yeah, that's yeah. a great story. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. How about you, Andrew? Yeah, well said, well said, Katie. Thank you. Um, so as Katie mentioned, I think uh, anybody that ends up being a park ranger uh, has their own unique path to, to becoming a park ranger. Um, in my case, um, I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. And I started out in the trades. I built houses with my with my stepdad. Um, unfortunately, as we all, or at least most of us probably remember, the, the market crash of 2008 really kind of affected that industry. And I had to, uh, to double back and figure out something else to do. And uh, that something else ended up being a career in EMS as a paramedic in Cleveland. Um, so I spent about 10 years as a paramedic. And while I was working uh, on the ambulance, I went back to school and got my undergrad in environmental science and always uh, had an end goal of, of doing something with the land management agency. Uh, not quite sure exactly you know, what I would be doing, but I knew that that was my end goal. Um, 
in 2016, uh, my wife and I, we moved to Arizona due to a, a fantastic job opportunity for her. And uh, obviously, Ohio, there's not a whole lot of public lands, not a whole lot of opportunities to do the work of a park ranger. Uh, but uh, relocating to Arizona, uh, the opportunities abounded. And uh, I got a seasonal position with the United States Forest Service not too far from here up in Happy Jack uh, doing, uh, doing maintenance, so working on old lookout towers and installing uh, infrastructure for buildings and things like that. And eventually got picked up with uh, Arizona State Parks and started my career with state parks at Alamo Lake State Park. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Cool. So, so uh, uh, now, now, as far as becoming a, a park ranger, again, there's multiple paths. Um, as Katie mentioned, the, the big thing is you have to enjoy engaging with people. Um, uh, at the, particularly at this park, at Tonto Natural Bridge, uh, there's people that will drive hours to come to this park. Uh, there's people that will travel from all over the country, if not the world, to come see this this park. And you want to make sure that you're 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 giving that visitor a pleasant experience. Yeah. Uh, they're they're making quite an effort to get here, and you want to number one, you want to show off the beauty of the park, but you also want to be welcoming and inviting, and um, try your best to do so. You know, we're all human; we all have bad days, but uh, uh, you always want to want to give a sense of welcome to to the to the public. Now, when when somebody asks me if you know how to become a park ranger. Um, again, I reiterate, there's multiple paths. You know, the big thing is is customer service. Uh, from my perspective, being the park manager here, if I'm hiring somebody, you know, a college degree doesn't necessarily mean anything to me unless it's a requirement for the job. Um, if you can engage with people, if you can speak with people, if you have a passion for what you're doing, uh, for me, that's the most important thing. And showing that passion and showing you that ability to communicate and that, uh, uh, that, that love for sharing this these beautiful places with the public you told me a really interesting story earlier today about um it was a was it a moss that you poured water on and you did something to show the the visitors how this thing worked can you just kind of go into detail about it just because i didn't know that stuff existed and i've been outside my whole life and it's just like little intricacies like that paying attention to seizing that moment and being able to share your passion and knowledge with visitors like just on the spot there i thought that was really cool yeah that's that's definitely one of the things i love about this job is being able to take the time on an individual to individual basis and uh uh, you know maybe show a visitor something that that they've never seen before explain something that they don't know anything about um so in in this case you're you're talking about uh, what's called resurrection moss and resurrection moss can really be found uh, all around the park and points south um now in the drier months when uh, there's very little precipitation, this this moss species will go dormant and it'll look like just a bunch of brown fuzz sitting on a rock. But if you uh, you walk up to that little pile of brown fuzz and you pour some water on it, say out your your uh, your your drinking bottle, uh, within seconds that moss will resurrect. It will turn green. It will start photosynthesizing. It's an adaptation to, to living in an arid environment. So once it has water, it will come back to life and it will it will start going about the business of being alive. Right. That is too cool. I know. It's so cool. Yeah. Most people didn't show up to the park expecting that. They thought they'd come here and look at a bridge, maybe see a deer or two and, you know, experience the rest of it. But just that additional touch is uh, really cool. And that makes this park pretty special, you know, that you guys are able to do that kind of stuff for the visitors. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Thank you for sharing that world with people. And I think what's so neat about your story too, Andrew, is that, you know, you had a, a whole career before this. So if someone is, has a dream, don't give up on a passion. You might have a next chapter and it's worthwhile pursuing um, those passions. Oh, absolutely. Especially again, if you want to work in the, in the field of land management, um, you have multiple options. So there's, there's agencies like Arizona state parks, there's federal agencies like the forest service and the Bureau of land management, the national park service, and they all have their, uh, you, you know, unique requirements for, for getting hired. Uh, but there's, you know, a park ranger park range, the term park ranger is a very general non-specific term. You know, there's 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 plenty of, of tasks and needs within the parks and they range from maintenance to interpretation to taking fees at the entries of the parks and and um, everybody has a has a background that can be a sedge into working in these kinds of fields. Man, that's awesome. So it's great that you're getting to share all of this information with visitors, making their experience so wonderful and that you're fulfilled in your job by doing that. What are some other exciting things that visitors ask about or that you like to share with them when they come to the park? So, so Katie can expound on some of this. So, um, uh, being down in this little Valley, uh, we're incredibly diverse. So we're right at the transition zone between the desert and the mountains. And that being said, we have species of plants and animals that you can find in the desert as well as the mountains. Um, so people love seeing our wildlife. So we have uh, javelina are kind of our little rock stars down here. And most folks that live in Arizona know what javelina are and are, are familiar with javelina. Uh, but if you get folks from out of state, uh, they might have not have any idea what a javelina is. So, uh, uh, you know, they'll come in to, to check out the natural bridge and they'll see a squadron of javelina hanging out by the orchard and they'll just be flabbergasted. You know, they think they're wild boars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a perfect opportunity to, to, to engage with the visitor and maybe give them a little bit of background on an animal that they've never seen or known before. Uh, there's also animals like Kodamundi, and I think Katie could tell you about the, the Kodamundi. Are they one of your favorites, Katie? Or do you have a, another favorite animal here at the park that you like to share with people? Quaddies are so cool. They're my favorite animal. Yeah. I love those things. I followed one around one day for like five or six hours, just like watching it do stuff. It was crazy. Because yeah. people think that they are. They are pretty. Yeah, they are pretty incredible animals, definitely here at the park. And it, it surprises people when they come here and they see them. And, you know, it's so unexpected for them. A lot of people do think that they're monkeys when they come in the gift store and ask us what they saw out in the park. And we do have, you know, some photos and stuff posted up to explain to people what Cotamundi are, you know, that they did migrate here from South America and they're just fascinating. They love our orchards here and the hackberry trees. And so anytime, you know, fall comes around, they are very, very active and it's an exciting thing for people to get to come and see. And they live in uh, generally like active family groups of like the the females and the young and then the the males are generally kind of separate. But those Family groups, you can see all their tails when they're walking around. Yes. They're just all sticking up in the air. Yes. It's so funny. It looks like little dinosaurs, kind of. Yeah. Like, have you seen that online? There's a video. Somebody did it backwards of a whole I thing. I did. Them, and it looks like a bunch of little brontosauruses. Yes. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like and that's that. what makes them so cool. You know, their their tails specifically being in the ringtail family, that is something that people really find intriguing about them, you know. Katie, I'm glad that you mentioned the orchard because many people might be surprised to find such a thing down here. They're coming for the natural features and 
there's actually a great amount of history on this property. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So as far as the orchard is concerned, uh, the original pioneers that moved down to this property, the initial homesteaders, uh, specifically David Gowan and the, uh, the Goodfellow family, uh, in order to, if you know, if you look back historically and how people acquired homesteads, uh, they were granted the homestead by the by the U.S. government, but they had to make several improvements to that property in order to, order to keep that homestead. And in the case of, of David Gowan and the Goodfellows, uh, part of those improvements included uh, growing and expanding a fruit orchard. Uh, so prior to, to this, this property becoming a state park, uh, particularly through the, the late 19th century and early 20th century, there was a very productive orchard uh, on this property. What so, kind of fruit were well, these Well, they grow uh, apples, uh, apricots. It, actually, there is the remains of a champion apricot tree on this property. A champion uh, tree? A champion oh, tree. Wow. Correct, correct. So uh, it Does was- it still it, Produce? It unfortunately it's at the it's it's very very old. It will oh, still leaf out. <laughs> uh, in my time here, I have not seen it fruit. However, uh, this this tree, from what I understand, is actually in the Guinness Book of World Records back in the 1930s for producing the most bushels of apricots. Correct. So so uh, in order to kind of echo that that, uh, that historical land use by the pioneers, we do maintain a small orchard on the park. Uh, so we we have some apple trees, we have some peach trees, and some uh, apricot trees. And uh, we do ask that park visitors don't pick the fruit uh, specifically because when that fruit drops, it becomes a good food source for the wildlife. Uh, the javelina uh, love the apples. The deer love the, the apples and the fruit. And uh, as, as Katie mentioned earlier, the Cota Mundi will participate in the feast when, uh, when uh, those trees are fruiting. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. Pack the cooler, throw on your favorite tunes, and hit the road. Memories are just a scenic drive away in Arizona's state parks. Have an outdoor adventure hiking, biking, or fishing. Take an educational outing and learn about Wild West history or be amazed by desert plants and animals. Feeling the need to recharge? Just relax in nature with a picnic, watching the beautiful birds, or spending time on the water. Get away for the day at an Arizona State Park. Find your day trip at azstateparks.com. But uh, as far as other history goes... uh, it goes way back. There's really uh, uh, evidence all the way back to the archaic period. Um, so there, there's a, a few archaeological sites that have been identified on the park. And um, there's really no distinct uh, cultural group uh, associated with it. Uh, some, of the, some of our reports indicate Hohokam influence, uh, ancestral Pueblin, uh, Apache, uh, after, after the... the those cultures kind of went into the sunset. Um, so the, the Apache utilized this property. Uh, it, archaeological evidence, evidence indicates as a seasonal farming encampment. Um, now, as far as uh, European uh, influences here on the, on the park, uh, really the first evidence of, of uh, somebody of European ancestry seeing the natural bridge is uh, in 1866 um, when uh, when Company E from Fort Lincoln, which is now Fort Verde, uh, shout out to Fort Verde State Park, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, was there's a diary entry from one of those cavalry soldiers denoting um, the natural bridge when they were on patrol. Wow. Um, uh, after that, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Gowan uh, was able to acquire the property as a homestead. That was about 1882. And in the late uh, 1890s, uh, 
David Gowan actually convinced a family back in Scotland, that's where he immigrated from, uh, sight unseen to immigrate to the United States and take over the property. And that was a Goodfellows. That's quite a leap of faith. It really Indeed. is. He must have been really descriptive. Like, yeah. 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 There's this giant hole in the mountain right. here. Yeah. Yeah. You guys got to see this. Uh -huh. yeah. And there's actually, if you think about that time in our history too, you know, the late 1890s, uh, Arizona wasn't a state. We were serial territory and really everything around us was still pretty much wilderness. Um, and there's actually a, a diary entry of uh, David Goodfellow's wife, Lilius Goodfellow, um, <laughs> she's she's recalling descending into this canyon here to take over the homestead and she uh, uh with a certain amount of trepidation uh almost described the experience as descending into hell oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> but but you gotta you gotta you gotta, you gotta take that as a grain of salt right these are folks that are are, are immigrating from scotland an entirely different habitat an entirely different uh, uh place on the planet did and they come in the summertime uh, I believe they did. Oh, yeah. 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 So they, they, they took a steamship from the British Isles, landed in New York City, uh, took a train to Flagstaff and then basically came down into the little, little valley here on, on a mule cart. Right. Um, but this place still gets pretty hot in the summertime. It does. It yeah. does. We're, so we're, we're definitely cooler than, than the valley, than Phoenix, oh, yeah. uh, typically about 10 degrees, but you know, still if it's 120 in the valley and it's 110 up up here it's still pretty hot mm -hmm. so yeah. uh you definitely have to be prepared if you're going to come in the summertime plenty of water you want good shoes and uh listen to your body yeah good advice if i were to put myself in her shoes i think i might have had a similar feeling it's a yeah. new place and life wasn't very easy back then i mean they really built a lot of this from the ground up they did they, they did there's a there's actually uh a lot of original historic buildings, outbuildings on the property still. Um, there's uh, the building we're sitting in right now, for instance, which is now our office, is is an old cabin that was uh, built about the 1920s. Uh, there's even older buildings on the property, uh, for instance, our old chicken coop, which is about 1911, uh, which we use for storage now. And there's actually an old uh, cabin, the last remaining cabin of a series of five, which we use for storage. Um, now, the lodge itself, which is kind of the prominent uh, feature when you first enter the park after dropping, you know, 700 feet down a, a winding road, uh, the lodge is right in front of you. And that lodge was built by the Goodfellows in the 19, in the 1920s, 1925 specifically. And it's such a cool rustic style in that lodge. It you is. Know, I love walking in and mm -hmm. seeing the, you know, the animals that are in there, the, well, their mounts. But it's, it's cool because it represents, you know, what, what visitors might see around the park. Exactly. Um, but just all the woodwork and the... It smells good. You know, it's just, it's a really cool experience. And people can tour that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually had the pleasure of getting to tour. And it was super fun. But it's amazing to be able to walk through living history. So yes. I hope other people can do that. Make sure our listeners know how they can enjoy this experience. So that is something that we just recently started doing. And we're doing lodge tours and also, you know, some tours of the historic buildings that we have around the park. Um, that those are going to be on Sundays and Wednesdays, I believe at 11 o'clock. Correct. Um, so we're looking forward to that. And we've only done a few so far, you know, it is our slow time right now as we're in winter. So, but people get a lot out of it. I mean, they come here, as I said earlier, looking to hike. I mean, cause that's kind of what people think is 
the one purpose of coming here. Um, but there's so much more to our park as far as history goes and more information we can share with our visitors here. So it's exciting. Yeah. And it's so cool to be able to see that, the, the grinding wheel, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. it's sitting right there in the dining hall. Yeah. And then Andrew's like, yeah, it's the same one up in that old picture. And it's like, a, yeah. you know, old black and white picture. And these, yes. these people are wearing, you know, the, the clothes from back then. I mean, you can just, Tell the wow, that is that wheel a yeah. long time ago. So you got that old history right there. Yeah, yeah, and that's the fun part is walking through the lodge, all the photos and memorabilia and stuff that we have here for people to get to see was, you know, here and what happens at our park. You know, it just makes their visit a little more unique and special. It's here. a great collection. It's almost like a museum. Yeah. You know, would you call that a museum? Not really. Maybe by definition. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 uh you know we do have some uh, artifacts that were that were found on the park over the years. Um, as you mentioned earlier, we have some taxidermy and and uh, some replica skulls of some of the wildlife that you could see on the park. Uh, but we do definitely try to keep that um, you know, rustic uh, pioneer you know hundred years ago feeling within the park. Yeah. And, and it's 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 and it's easy to do, you know, you're, there's no cell phone service down here. Uh, so when you're down in this, this little Canyon, um, you, you do with a little bit of imagination, you could transport yourself back a hundred years ago. I was going to say your imagination doesn't have to work very hard to be transported back in time. Just walking through the lodge, um, you're right there with the pictures. There's a lot of original furniture I learned on the tour that I took. You just feel it, right? Right yeah. when you walk in, you, you're in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a complete sensory experience. As you mentioned, the, the old lodge, it does have the odor of an antique building. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't smell. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, it just smells old. It mm-hmm. smells like history. You know? I love what I learned on the tour that this lodge was used to host um, travelers. And this was like a thing back then. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people may not be familiar with these like guest lodges or these guest ranches that people would use to help facilitate their travels yeah. across the Correct. Western United States. So, which wasn't even the U S back then. Yeah. So, so the good fellows, uh, when they initially moved down, down here, uh, you know, they were living a subsistence lifestyle, you know, they were raising cattle and they were, uh, what's now our parking lots were effectively alfalfa fields. They had their orchard. Um, and they, they, you know, they grew and made what they needed, you know, to survive down here. Uh, but if you also think about that time in our history, you know, the, the turn into the 20th century, you know, all the railroads have, for the most part, had been expanded. Um, there's burgeoning interest in the West in general from folks back East. And uh, people just kind of started showing up on their doorstep wanting to see the natural bridge. And, um, and, and uh, there's no written evidence of this, but I, I would imagine that the Goodfellows saw an economic opportunity there. Um, and they initially started by building a series of cabins. I mentioned earlier, one is, one is still standing to, to house visitors and tourists. And eventually um, they built the Goodfellow Lodge in 1925. And as you mentioned, you know, people traveled a lot differently back then. It was a lot more effort to get to places. And when they to, would get to their destination, they would stay for quite a while. Um, so this lodge, uh, the second story has 10 bedrooms. It's uh, it's an old style lodge. So there's actually shared bathrooms. You know, back in the day, you didn't get the privilege of your own bathroom. <laughs> um, 
And folks would stay for weeks, uh, sometimes months at a time, and they would just enjoy the property, enjoy rim country, and uh, they would go out on excursions at various points of interest within rim country, and and it was just a different pace, and uh, and and you could feel that in that building. Yeah, we have to take the tour and see yeah. this for yourself and imagine what it was like back then, and you know, honestly, visitors are kind of getting a similar experience today. Maybe not quite the slow, calm pace, but seeing the wildlife that's all present throughout the park and getting to actually go down um, at the base of the bridge is astounding because you literally walk right over the top and you don't even know what's underfoot. Yeah, I was blown away the first time I saw it because the the pictures online, you know, they, they look great. I mean, it looks cool, but the sheer magnitude of this thing, yeah. you you don't know until you experience it and it it'll freaking blow you away. It will. I agree. It's much like you were saying earlier, Andrew, with it likening it to the Grand Canyon, how the light plays off the shadows. It's the same as with the scale, like the Grand Canyon is. You can't really fathom it until you're there. You can see pictures, but in person, it's... Yeah, photo, photographs are hard to capture. And we, we occasionally, we do have artist workshop, workshops in the park. And uh, each one of these artists, whether it be painters or whatever medium they work with, they, they always... Uh, talk about how difficult it is to capture the scale of the natural bridge. Um, now the natural bridge, it is of course the focal point of the park. That's why we exist. You know, we exist to, to, uh, to preserve and, and keep access to this amazing feature to the public. Um, and we really didn't talk too much about that, right? You know, we kind of got into the weeds a little bit. So the natural bridge itself, it's uh, it's 183 feet tall. It's 400 feet long and about 150 feet wide. Uh, it's a massive, massive structure, and it's made of travertine. Now, uh, again, we'll talk about the springs. So the spring water is what built all these formations out that you'll see if you come visit the park. Um on the east side of the park, we've got a series of very productive springs and that spring water before it discharges out of the spring spends thousands of years underground. And some of the uh, underlying geology that percolates through is limestone. Now water in its natural state is a mild acid and limestone is a very soft rock, right? That's how caves are formed. You got water percolating through beds of limestone and it's dissolving that limestone. And that's how some famous uh, cave complexes, places like Mammoth Cave and Carlsbad Caverns, that's how these things were formed, right? Now, uh, again, uh, the water gets discharged out of our spring and it's super, super, super saturated in this dissolved limestone or calcium carbonate. And as that spring water, as it drains into the canyon, into Pine Creek, the stone actually precipitates out of the water. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what basically gave the substrate to create the natural bridge. And uh, what's really unique about this park is that there's plenty of places where you could, you could see travertine actively being made, uh, particularly off of our, what we call our waterfall trail. Um, as this, as the spring water is draining to the Creek, it's, 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 uh, draining off of vegetation and stone. And you can actually see, uh, what are effectively little stalactites and stalagmites forming. So you could actually watch this travertine forming before your eyes and envision, uh, the, the other erosional processes that created the natural bridge itself. Yeah, that's amazing. I actually, the first time I saw it for myself, that was the first thought that came to mind. I actually thought, this looks like a cave that just is open on both sides. Mm -hmm. And I was really struck with how similar those formations 
were to a cave or other systems like that. I don't you can know. walk right through this thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can. You can. You gotta be, you gotta be careful. The, careful. the terrain is very, very slippery down there. It is very rough, uh, but it is a fantastic experience hiking underneath that natural bridge. Yes. But I love how you guys have been able to paint a, a more complete picture for, for listeners today because the, the bridge is the, the main draw of this place, but there's so much else available, especially when you tap into the knowledge of the people that work here. I mean, you can get just such a, an educational and na- natural experience all in one place okay. and historic. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's a really cool yeah. conglomeration of, of things that, that build Tano Natural Bridge State Park. That's and correct. It's more than just a bridge. That's correct. We have mm-hmm. many layers. And, and uh, again, one of the special things about this park to me is how diverse we are. Uh, we have, you know, Arizona is home mm-hmm. to many different ecosystems and habitats. And and we have on the park itself, on, on this property, one of the rarest, most uh, uh well, for lack of a better term, rarest habitats in the, in the state, which is riparian habitat. So um, you could pull into the park and, and, and uh, you'll do your entry fees and, of course, and go drive into the park. And you're up top in this kind of pinion juniper forest and uh, some areas of chaparral. And uh, we have beautiful stands of, of, uh, of beautiful old Arizona cypress trees. Um, but when you drop down to the canyon, you're in an entirely different world. You're in an entirely different totally habitat, different entirely world. different ecosystem. Yeah. So the, the, the plants you see on our little 160 acres, you'll, 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 you'll be in multiple different habitats. And when you drop in that canyon, you're in an entirely different suite of vegetation. You're going to see different insects. You're going to see different animals. Uh, the temperature is going to be different. Of course, there's water. So you can experience um, quite a bit of, of, of habitats and, and creatures and plants uh, in, in this little tiny piece of heaven. It's no secret why they chose the homestead here. Yeah. You know, it's a really special place. It is. So like, what do we, what do you guys have coming up here? Do you have any events that are, they're looming on the horizon? I know that, um, weddings are pretty popular here. They are. Weddings are a big thing and they've become more and more popular over the last few years where it is definitely getting out. Um, but it is a beautiful place to have a wedding venue and relatively cheap at that. Um, it does have to kind of fall within, you know, park hours, which sometimes is what throws some people off being some, you know, between nine and five. Um, but apart from just weddings, we do have two annual events that we have here regularly. We do the brunch at the bridge, which this year will be on April 30th. It's um, it'll start at nine. It's about two hours long. Um, the fee for it, it's $20 to buy the ticket, which will get you admission into the park for the day. And it also comes with a brunch. So it's kind of, it's, it's a really fun event that we do. Our friends of the natural bridge group actually puts that on for us. Same with the taste at the bridge. That will be September 16th this year. We do it from five until seven o'clock. We don't usually start selling tickets for it until usually mid July, there's live music. We have a local band that always comes. Everybody loves um, Soldeville. We also have food. We're not quite sure, honestly, this year who is going to be providing the food for us, but I'm sure it will be amazing. Um, and then Four Peaks Brewery, there's beer tasting and wine tasting, and it's just really fun. There's live auction and silent auction. Just a good time to get out and come to the bridge and, and really enjoy 
getting to hang out together with everybody and learn about the park at that. We do lodge tours in the midst of it, and it's just a great time. We love it. It sounds like a lot of fun. I can't wait to come. I'm getting a ticket this year. Good. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of fun. And it's so wonderful that you have a very supportive community, supportive friends of group. I know that you guys also have a wonderful team of volunteers. So it's great to see so many people love on this really special place. Absolutely. Our our friends of group, it's it's. I can't even tell you how valuable they are to us. They, are. Um, they do a lot of good things for this park. Uh, they, the funds that they generate uh, allow us to make improvements that, that benefit the visitor. For instance, uh, uh, they purchased uh, five rocking chairs for the porches on the lodge. So it's a nice uh, place to kind of sit back and, and soak in the ambiance of the park. Uh, new benches. Uh, they acquired a mountain lion taxidermy for us, which is uh, uh, quite fantastic. When that you, thing is amazing. It is. It's kind of spooky when you walk yeah. in the door. It's kind of eyeballing you. you yeah. know? So, <laughs> um, um, so I, I can't. I can't expound enough how valuable our friends of group and our volunteers. Uh, we have an amazing uh, volunteer base here that that does all kinds of things for us. Um, helps the public, helps us keep uh, keep the park well maintained and clean. And uh, we would be lost without them. Yeah, thank you, absolutely. friends of group. Thank you, volunteers. Thank you, community. That's incredible. It is incredible, and you guys are incredible. And thank you. We're just happy to have been here today. We we appreciate you, and we hope the listeners like what you've had to say. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing this experience with us, with all your visitors, and we appreciate it. We hope everybody has a great time at the park. Yeah, come thank see us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Yes, please.